This message was recorded at World Changes Church Gold Coast. It is our hope and mission that you further your understanding of grace and are empowered for change. A church with vision is going somewhere, amen? Uh, and we are a church that we believe we're going to partner with other churches um, with purpose. And that's why we're here tonight, because together we can do more. Amen? I want to talk to you tonight about the power of purpose. Um, and I want to teach on something, and I want to break something down. As leaders in the church, we need to know. Now, you may not see a lot of things up here tonight other than Scripture. But there's this lost word inside of our ministry. Um, when it comes to, we talk about favor. And I, when I talk about our ministry, I'm, not, I'm talking about the ministry of Christ. In, in, in any church, anywhere, we talk about favor, we talk about prosperity, we talk about blessings, we talk about cursings, we talk about spiritual law, we talked about a multitude of things. Um, but there's one word that we forget when it comes to the ministry of reconciliation. The very purpose of why Christ came was to reconcile us. And there's this word, there's two words that are most misrepresented in the Bible. It's righteousness and reconciliation. And there's some things you need to understand as we've been talking about sonship, we've been talking about fivefold leadership. As you can tell, the motto is going to be we're going to talk about fivefold, then we're going to give some principles and practicality. So we're going to be alternating between Wednesdays between talking about fivefold and practicality, okay? So when it comes to the word righteousness, um, that word means for most of us right standing with God. Am I correct? Okay, five yeses. Amen. Reconciliation means to reconcile, bring back to two parties that were separated, right? Um, to pay, you know, so that's what God did. He reconciled us because we were once separated. Mankind was separated from God. The reality is we're no longer separated. And there's teachings out there that try and teach us that we have to acquire righteousness through our actions through our deeds, do good, get good, or do bad, get bad, to be able to have a relationship with God. That is not true. That is not true whatsoever. The reality is that our righteousness is in Christ. Our reconciliation is from God through Christ. Amen. Our justification comes by our faith. Our atonement for our sins came through the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? Our forgiveness came from God, from the acts of Jesus. So when it comes to reconciliation and righteousness, there is nothing you can do to acquire it except believe. Amen? So as leaders, we need to be careful not to try and lead people through manipulation of words by trying to say, well, if you don't do this, God will be angry with you. If you don't do this, God will take this from you. Can I tell you, God's not in the business of taking anything from anybody anymore. Amen? Amen? Amen. And the ministry that's still teaching that is ministries that still mingle law and grace. And they teach grace from a perspective of mercy instead of Favor. They teach grace uh, from a, a, a place of God for, has forgiven you and you should be thankful instead of a relationship with Christ, the person of grace. We don't, we need to, so to understand righteousness, reconciliation, we have to understand the word grace also. 
So as leaders or potential leaders or people that just want to understand more, we got to take more value and take more time in understanding these principles so we understand grace, which empowers change. Amen? All right. So no one can be justified by his own works. Say that with me. No one. All right. I'm going to say no one. Say no one. So is there anything that you did to get saved? Believe. You, you took one action, you received the faith, the hope that came from hearing about Christ. You believed, and then you were reconciled. You believed, and then you were redeemed. You were, you were actually already redeemed before you knew you were. Amen? So let's think of it this way. So I get a redeeming, like I get a ticket to redeem a free turkey down at uh, Kohl's. Does that turkey show up at my house? What do I got to do? So I go and apply my redemption to get that turkey. Isn't that great? So faith without works is dead. My works is to take the substance that is found in Christ, because faith is a substance, relying on the hope, trusting in Christ, and through my trust in Christ, through my belief in Christ, redemption becomes an active work in my life. Amen? I am redeemed, I am reconciled, I am justified, I am forgiven. There's been an atonement, there's been a price paid for me. So the reason we don't talk about this is because people don't shout you down when you talk about this stuff. You know, we, I'm not going to talk about promises tonight. Sorry. I'm going to talk about the promise of Jesus. I'm not going to talk about the, the golden streets. I'm going to talk about the simple reality of the purpose that Christ came. And he didn't come so that you could continue to operate inside your own works. He came for our justification that consists of the objective aspect and the subjective aspect. The objective aspect and the subjective aspect. The objective of our justification, he came to achieve the cross and the sacrifice. That was his, that was his main goal, to reconcile man. That was the objection, right? The subjection of, of the, our justification was to produce faith. Faith, whether we realize it or not, is an action that we receive from Christ, but an action we take. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? Man, I'm only in the first sentence of my notes, and I'm realizing this is going to be fun tonight. All right. So, no, it's okay. So we receive the objective of justification freely by God's grace. We receive justification by God's grace. God seeing the need for his son to die on the cross through the redemption of Jesus Christ. So we receive the objective of God's grace through the redemption of Christ. Amen? Okay. This is like Bible college stuff I'm talking to you about. Right. And by our faith, as it talks about in Romans 3 and 24, Romans 5 and 1. Just put Romans 3 and 24 up there for us. Faith is the way for us to be justified, and our faith comes from Christ, who is the source and the cause of our faith. Man, I'm about to really blow y'all's minds. All our, look at that word. Somebody say all. all. Some. No. All. Half. Five percent. Ten percent. All are justified and made of right and in right standing with God freely and gratuitously 
by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption of which is provided in Christ Jesus. Before you ever agreed to receive salvation, you were justified. Now, that'll mess some people up. Because you are already acquitted. You are already forgiven for your sins before you knew you were forgiven. Your destination may have been the same if you stayed in unbelief. But you were forgiven before you ever realized you were forgiven. When we come to people and say, you need forgiveness, we're already in error as theologians. No one needs forgiveness. Everyone has forgiveness and needs to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Does that make sense? So it also changes how we relate to one another. So if Christ has forgiven us all, <laughs> so you didn't know this today, did you? If Christ has forgiven us all before we were new for, that we were forgiven, but there's freedom in that forgiveness, then why is it that we think we need to give forgiveness instead of just walk in forgiveness? As leaders and as the body of Christ, we're supposed to walk in forgiveness. We're not supposed to give forgiveness. So as we have freely have we received, so freely we give. When I put myself in contempt of saying, you know what, you've offended me. I've now stepped into offense and I've now stepped into a place of judgment where I call myself the judge. Yeah. Amen? Amen? The way to be free from offense is to stay in the reconciliation mindset of Christ. Amen? Amen. God reconciled you to himself and he reconciled you to each other. Amen? Amen. Guys, this is going to get deep tonight. You're going to... You, if you need me to repeat stuff tonight, put your hand up. I'm going to repeat it. We're going to go as slow as we can and get you out of here as soon as possible. Because this is one thing that needs to be understood if you're going to understand your sonship. So to operate in the all forgiven in, in the sense of needing evangelism, salvation. Okay. So um, that's, we'll take salvation first because this will be a good one. All right. The house is burning down. Right now the roof is on fire. There's the exit. The house is on fire, the roof is burning down, and it's now made it to the second floor. There's the exit. Okay, the fire is now on the first floor. There's the exit. Salvation is that you have already been made aware there is a need for a Savior, there's a need for an exit strategy, but it's still a choice. So even though forgiveness is already available, just like the warning that the house is burning, it's now made it to the first floor, it's now here, it's now about to overtake you, is the cry that the Holy Spirit gives about your life existence. Because if you end this life and step into, into eternity in unbelief, the salvation is not available to you. But you were forgiven, meaning you had the salvation because you were forewarned, you were told. So Christ has redeemed us all, but you have to apply that redemption. You have to ascertain it by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Faith without works is dead. So if Christ has forgiven us all, just like most people will ask, well, if Christ has forgiven us all, then why do we need to be forgiven? We're all reconciled. Well, if that would be true, I would stop preaching and everybody's redeemed. Their faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. 
So faith has to be received. We, it said when he was talking to Hebrews chapter 4, talking about salvation still, Hebrews chapter 4, it said because of their unbelief, they could not receive the salvation. But it didn't change the message. Their unbelief didn't change the message or the pursuit. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Forgiveness has been made available. Salvation is the act of taking that forgiveness. Well said. All right, so then why, why for the need for evangelism? Let's go back to fivefold teaching. Evangelists gather to hear and people to be discipled under a message, right? So evangelists gather. And so an evangelist to go out and offer forgiveness, to offer salvation, and then offer discipleship is so that people can now walk freely in this forgiveness and get a greater understanding of what they've been freely given, this gift of grace. So the need for evangelism is to gather people to understand how to be discipled, either to first receive salvation, receiving that forgiveness, and then secondly, get the opportunity to come under discipleship. Now, I'm telling you, I'm teaching some radical stuff tonight. But you know what's funny about it? It's not radical. It's the basic foundation of our belief. It's just not talked about because it's so, it's so well disputed denominations have made salvation like you need to be sanctified, set apart. Your set apart, sanctified state comes from your redemption and your, in your attaining of the grace gift, the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Amen? What was the third one, Chris? You said evangel. That was it? So Jesus came so that we could be reconciled to God who is the source and the cause of our faith. If there was no God, would we have a need to believe? No. So Jesus came to reintroduce, to re-represent God to us. Because we had made our God the law. We had made our God religion. Amen? Amen? So relationship became the cry of Jesus. As a speaker, I'm just like, pause for effect. <laughs> so let's look at what I'm going to talk about, the power of one. Somebody say the power of one. So together we can do more, but we didn't arrive at this state of being able to do more together. As Jesus said, greater work shall you do in my name. For I go unto the Father to prepare a place for you. Did that mean that you were going to do greater works than Jesus as an individual? No, I ain't seen nobody walk on water lately. Amen. I've seen some folk raise the dead, but I, what that meant was is that God, Jesus, put and made available to us the reconciliation, the power of God, which came through the Holy Spirit, so that us together, one can send a thousand to fly, and two can send ten thousand to fly. So we have to look at the power of one first to realize how we've come together to do more. Amen. Somebody say the power of purpose. So one, one afternoon I was uh, reading Romans 5, 12 through 19. And uh, it was a while back. I mean, it must have been, I don't know, 10 or so years ago. And it made me take a closer look at the whole chapter, Romans chapter 5, to see what Paul is trying to communicate in this pivotal, 
It's like I added a boo boo boo. <laughs> Pivotal passage. I wanted, I wanted to, and I want you, as I wanted then, to gain a deeper understanding of what it means to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2 said, Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Through him also we have our access, entrance, introduction by faith into the grace. Let's go to the King James after this. State of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand and let us rejoice and exalt in our hope of experience. By whom also, in the King James it says, by whom also we have exceeded access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I wanted to understand what it meant to rejoice in the glory of God. Because can I ask you a question? Have you seen the glory of God lately? Have you seen the glory of God? The answer is yes. But it's because you have a depiction of the glory of God. You think you have it. So therefore you don't know how to rejoice in it because you think you've never seen it. Amen? And that's what I want to present to you tonight is an opportunity to rejoice in the glory of God. Man, I'm going to tell you this is going to radically change your life. And I'm getting excited right now. I may just have to preach tonight. I don't even know. So to rejoice in this, let's go back to Romans 12 and 19. What we are proclaiming here is a celebration of the resurrection. None of this was made available to us until the resurrection of Christ. Righteousness was not available to us unless we committed good deeds. Amen. Thank you, brother. Um, redemption was not available to us unless we attended Yom Kippur. And for a Gentile, we were just lost. Unless we made a sacrifice of goats and other things. All these things, justification, forgiveness, reconciliation, atonement, were not a part of the program until the resurrection. And I'm not trying to get ready for an Easter message because I'm not preaching on Easter. Amen? Amen? So we celebrate the resurrection is the first rejoicing of the glory of God. Because without the resurrection, there would be no atonement. Without the resurrection, there would be no redemption. Without the resurrection, there would be no reconciliation. Without the resurrection, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, there would be no justification. You have seen and tasted and heard the glory of God by the simple resurrection. But how dumbed down and, and, and... and irrelevant it's become because every Easter it becomes a cross that we put flowers on. And I have nothing against that. If we do that this year, I'd be so excited. Amen. But it's become the Easter story. Not the rejoicing of the glory of God that reconciled us unto Him. Amen. Does that make sense? So Romans 5, Romans chapter 5 reinforces that God indeed loves the whole world. He did it. For the whole world. He did it for the non-believer. He did it for the believer. He did it for the prostitute and the program director. I just had to find another P. He did it for the good and the bad. Because other than God, there was no good. Amen? How amazing is it that in John 3.16, and it's something that we read, but again, we've, we can rejoice in the glory of God. And you're sitting here going, man, we're covering some basic stuff. Exactly. I'm covering some basic stuff with some profound revelation. Amen? Say that with me. Basic stuff, basic stuff. With, profound with profound revelation. 
For God so loved the world. You should rejoice. If he didn't love the world, we would have nothing to celebrate. If you were the only person in the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says something quite similar. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I'm so excited tonight. Can y'all tell? Amen. I love talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And now because it's like getting close to Easter, I just think it's something we should celebrate every day. It's the reason we take communion. Amen. And he, that same Jesus himself, is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen? Yet, yeah, when you were in your mother's womb, God was talking to you about, I got a Savior designed just for you. When you were in your mother's womb, I got forgiveness that has been given for you. Amen? So good. Let's go back to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. So who did Christ die for? For us. You're some, you're some awesome people, aren't you? You're the, you're, man, you're the cream of the crop. While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time Christ died for our behalf, in the behalf of the ungodly. So before we were saved, when we were powerless and weak, he died for us. Verse 7. For scarce, now it is an extraordinarily, let's go to King James. Romans 5, 6, and 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Man, don't let nobody tell you God's mad at you. Amen? You ever heard a Christian that's been saved for over 20 years? God's mad at me. Amen? God, through Christ, does not have the ability to be mad at you. Amen? Amen? Actually, he got so mad, so mad at sin, he said, son, go handle that. Amen? So even in the way you think God is this crushing, debilitating, judging, wrath-throwing God... He loved us so much that he said, son, go handle that. Go die for that. He loves you. Next verse, for if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, most martyrs die and they don't come back. And Jesus kind of changed the script a little bit. Amen? He died for a cause, but then arose for it too. Amen? Jesus died for a cause, but then arose for it too and said, no more will you have to sacrifice because it'll now be through my resurrected life that you live. You don't have to live through my sacrificed life. You live through my resurrected life. Amen? 
So when people, as leaders of, of, of this church, as potential congregational members, as people that have come together to learn more, we've got to stop making people feel like that there's something that they need to do to have this abundant life. This abundant life is available to them now. Amen? Long before they even can understand that it's available. See, the problem with most people's lives is not the sin because the sin has been dealt with. Can I say that again? The problem in most people's lives is not the sin because the sin has been dealt with. It's their belief that they deserve the good that God has given. Amen? It's your, it's, we got to teach people how to believe in a good God. You'll never be good enough. The great, listen, you ain't rich because you're on Forbes. Amen? You're rich because of what you think about yourself. Amen? Richness, true richness, the, the very essence of being rich is not found in money. It's found in value. And if you can learn how to value yourself as God values you, you can teach others how to value themselves. Amen? Amen. So good, isn't it? Amen. I love that stuff. Praise God. Hallelujah. So Christ died for us. Some will say that these verses that were just read, you can put the logo back up. Some will say that these verses apply only to believers, but I think I've just made you realize that this applies to us all. So the statement I said earlier about how you were forgiven long before you understood your forgiveness. You were healed long before you understood your healing. You were rich long before you ever saw the zeros stack up in your bank account with a few numbers in front of them for the first time. These things have been made available to you by the goodness of God, not your goodness. Amen? So it was for the believer, the unbeliever, this rich life that is now available to us all are, is available to those who choose to come to Christ before they die. Amen. Well, is this not fair? He lived his whole life as a hellion out there in the world, and he just gets to, right there at the last 10 years of his life, get saved. Well, yeah. Praise God. He does get that, he or she gets that opportunity. You shouldn't get mad for how good you've had to live. I'm going to touch on that, I'm going to stomp on it, I'm going to kill it all at the same time. Most Christians today are mad. Y'all ready for this? Oh, I love this. Man, thank you, Jesus, for letting me finally get to talk about this. They're mad because I have to live right. They're mad because I have to do right. Listen to the terminology I'm talking about. They're mad because I have to. I have to. I have to. They have not come to the revelation of the fact that they don't have to do anything except believe God. And they believe that because of what they're having to do, they're now upset and envious of those that get to live any way they want to. When you understand reconciliation... You're no longer mad about how, about how the wicked live. Because you're just no longer wicked. Amen? You're not caught up in that stuff. You are now the most prosperous people that have ever walked on the face of the earth. Look at you. You're billionaires. I dare say you're universinaires. It's like, Kyle, did you just make up a word? I did. 
Really weird, weird word because you own the power of the universe right now in your mortal body through the third part of the Trinity living on the inside of you. And you bind your prosperity to a figure that man can ascertain. But when you, stop, when you stop binding yourself to only what the heights of men can reach, you achieve true prosperity. True prosperity is not in the ability of men. True prosperity is through the reconciliation of Christ and realizing who you are. And then prosperity impacts your life in tsunami proportions. Amen? Come on, somebody. Somebody getting a revelation. Amen? Somebody getting a revelation. Who's getting a revelation wants to share it real quick? Amen. I just love that just by having, um, being reconciled with Jesus and having him in our life, like you're just saying there, to be able to have prosperity here and that it's within us and it's all about renewing our mind and understanding what we receive through our identity through him and being able to walk this walk like he wants us to walk. I mean, he's given it all to us and there's nothing that he's holding back and it's only unbelief that's stopping us from stepping into the prosperity that he's given us. So we just need to, to renew our mind and walk in the truth and stop, like you're saying, stop trying to do it our way. We just need to, to know that he's done it for us. Stop doing it our way. It's not our way, it's his way. in him has nothing to do with in you amen so when you die to self you achieve the word christian because what does the word christian mean because see you're saved you're saved you're a son of god but christian is an attribute of the characteristic of Christ. They were called that in Antioch because they were acting like Christ. Being Christian has become a religious choice these days on a census. But I heard my brother say, I just can't believe a Christian family would do this. And I was like, well, they don't represent all Christians. And I realized in my statement in this study, even today, that they're not Christians. They're saved sons and daughters of God, but they've yet to achieve Christianity. Amen? That's a slap in the face. But it's truth. Christianity is a byproduct of spending enough time with Christ that you're no longer just a son functioning in a calling, but you have laid down self to achieve Christ-likeness. Boom, right? So, <laughs> so through multiple parallels throughout this chapter, Paul shows us the full extent of Christ's saving power. Amen? I wanted to go somewhere, but I'm going to stop. For example, let's look at um, chapter 5, verse 18. The power of one. The power, all it takes is one person speaking wrongly in your life to change and shape the direction of your life. Amen? So therefore, as by the offense of one, by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. The result of offense is condemnation, to condemn. Not only in Christ, where we were reconciled to God, 
the offense upon mankind brought about judgment, which was to be condemned. We were condemned. We were cursed. But it operates in relationships, too. So offense, when someone offends you, as a leader, can I tell you, if you're ever going to be a leader in this church, you're going to get offended. Amen? If you ever walk in the title pastor, you're going to have plenty of opportunity to get offended. If you're ever going to carry the word apostle, teacher, prophet, evangelist, elder, deacon, you're going to have the opportunity to get offended. Because offense, But see, what comes after offense is judgment, and what comes in judgment is condemnation. Can I tell you that none of us have the right to condemn anyone because in Christ there is no condemnation? Amen? Anybody want to be free from offense? Yeah? Amen? Then realize first that the operation of offense is to bring judgment, which brings condemnation. When you're offended, don't you want people to be judged? Come on, y'all. Y'all need to be. Quit, quit being super saints. Super, everybody's up here. Well, I just never get offended. Ha. No. You know, when, when somebody offends you, they just should pay for what they did. Nobody's ever say that. Amen. Hey. Well, what, what if God would have said that to us? So we have to start operating freely in what has been given to us to be free from offense. Amen? When you put self in the center, you're going to get offended. Amen? The reality is that by one offense, the first Adam, came the fall of man. But let's go back to that verse. It says in verse 18, But even so by the righteousness of one, the power of one, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So through offense, condemnation. Through righteousness, justification. Whose righteousness is it? Christ. And whose righteousness has been given to us? Whose righteousness do we stand in? And it's made us right with who? And there is no condemnation in so if we are in Christ, there is no So do, should we be condemning anyone? No. So let's break this down. The first part I want to show you in verse 18 is there is an offense by one and a judgment by one. By the offense of one, judgment became on all. By the righteousness of one, let's look at these words, the free gift. The free gift. The free gift came upon all men. What does free mean? Without price, without tax, no strings attached. So do you have to work for this free gift? Do you have it right now? Are you justified right now? But does that justify your actions? Oh, I love it. For by one man's disobedience may we were made sinners. For by obedience to one shall many be made righteous. Notice these strong parallels between the verses 18 and 19. Let's go to verse 19. 
For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Okay, who disobeyed? What did he disobey? God. And there was judgment that was passed. Condemnation. Who obeyed? Jesus. And what became of that? Righteousness. Righteousness, forgiveness, justification. Okay, so who, who obeyed? Jesus. Who gave the sacrifice? Jesus. So what sacrifice do you need to give? So why do we still sacrifice? We pull out that scripture quite often. It says obedience is better than sacrifice. True. But what do we obey? When it comes to Christ, if sin has been dealt with and sin is no longer an issue... What are we obeying? If we've been redeemed and we've been... Re- I mean, I'm messing y'all up. I love it. Like, I love it. Y'all are like... Ah. If we've been redeemed, we've been reconciled, we've been forgiven, if atonement has been made, justified, we now operate in grace, what do we obey? Is that a commandment? Belief. To believe is to have hope, and to have hope is to have faith, and faith is where we have access to the inheritance. The Bible clearly says to us, if I've covered that scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, by the access of our faith, we have inheritance. So we, we, are, we are obeying belief and not being deterred from belief because when we fall into sin, sin is an action of unbelief. Believing that sin now has power over us. And oh, the devil made me do it. Amen? Amen. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I want you to taste rejoicing in the glory of God. I want you to be free from the pressures and weight of religion that say you've got to do, do, do to get, get, get. Hazel, is this some radical stuff? Very. But is it awesome? Is it messing with you? In a good way. But the reality of what I'm saying to you is, is what do we obey? If, if we don't have to sacrifice anything, then we're not obeying sacrifice. Hmm? His voice. But it says, what comes by hearing? Faith. And we hear faith through the word of? And how can we hear unless he is? Okay, so we're obeying the word of God that says you are the righteousness of God. So if I say anything opposite other than I am the righteousness of God, I'm no longer obeying the faith. Man, that's so good. If I'm obeying anything than what the word of God says about me after Christ, I am now in unbelief. I need to obey the faith that says who I am after Christ. And to say anything, to let anybody else, well, you just, well, you're going to, well, you should. No, I need to obey what Christ has said about me and not be deterred and distracted. I was just just thinking something God said to me yesterday. Um, because someone's been speaking uh, to me 
bringing up my past and trying to condemn me and saying, how can you call yourself a new creation? Uh, look at what you did, you know, 10 years ago. And um, I'd kind of forgotten about it and just sort of pushed it to the side. And yesterday God said to me, someone's spoken witchcraft over you. And I realised it's, it's not people saying bad words. It's people coming against my righteousness, which is a contradiction to what Christ has done. Amen. And that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. It's not only witchcraft, but it's not the word of God. Yeah. Amen? Amen? How can you call yourself a Christian, a new creation, because of what? Well, let's just go back to verse 18, and I'm going to tell you how. Romans 5, 18. Roman, Romans 5, 18 emphasizes the fact of the extent of justification. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men condemnation. Condemnation died the moment Jesus rose again. I'm going to say it again. Condemnation died the moment Jesus rose again to present this new life. One more time. Condemnation died the moment Jesus rose again. Amen? Amen? Verse 19 is a restatement of the same thing. Paul thought, in case you didn't hear me the first time, let me say it again. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, but by, one, but by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Paul's saying, if you didn't get what I said in the last little bit that was maybe a little bit over the top, let me just make it real simple. Adam made us all sinners. Jesus made us all righteous. Boom. Case closed. There is no indictment over your life anymore. There's no, a lot of people, I heard somebody say to me today, they said, well, everything is going to fall before the judgment of God. I, there is going to be no movie, movie, but I'm not going to be before a movie. The Bible says that my judgment will be about my works. Not who I am, because who I am is established in Christ. If I was being judged for who I am, I might as well stand in line with a bunch of sinners. But I'm not being judged by who I was or who I am. I'm being judged by my works and my actions of faith. So if my works and my actions of faith are being judged, then that means there's obedience to the faith. There's a reward to following the faith. But we have favor in this life and grace in this life so that we can achieve that. That's some powerful stuff, ain't it? Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. God has forgiven your full past. And anybody that tries to remind you of who you was doesn't know who you is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let me just get real ghetto with it. Anybody that tries to remind you who you was just doesn't know who you is. Because the is is the I am, and he lives on the inside of me. He is my beginning. He's my end. He's my alpha. He's my omega. He's my bright and morning star. He's my everything. He's my doctor. He's the bishop of my soul. He's the lawyer in my courtroom, which he's already said, it is finished. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. I love that. Um, how that kind of impacted me in my life is that I used to think when I you know, sin was something that was coming out of me and was a product of my heart and my mind and there was something wrong with me. And then 
through studying God's word, I realized that sin is actually an intrusion on our identity. It's trying to come in and attach itself, but it's not coming out of our identity at all. We're completely set apart from sin. And so to see sin as an intruder on your identity is the best way to position sin in your life. To see sin as an intruder on your identity is the best way to position sin, the reality of what sin is, in relation to you and who you are in Christ. Praise God. Amen. So, guys, are you catching any revelation tonight? Uh, I want to hear about, I want to stop. I want to stop for a second. I want to ask you what you've received. And I want you to tell me this mi- microphone, what revelation have you received? Who wants to go first? No? Yeah? Okay. Um, it, to be honest, like, you know, you know how you were saying it's like radical stuff, but it's not really that radical. It's just everything that you're saying and everything everyone said is lining up so perfectly with the Word of God. It's like, how could I have never seen this before or like comprehended it's just slotting in so perfectly and it makes so much sense to me and that's because this is the order of you know our identity and I really love what Chris just said you know seeing sin as an intruder on your identity is just such a perfect way to look at it and stop get it then you can't get into that condemnation because you are really living in your identity in Christ which is you know the righteousness of God and that's a really beautiful perspective to have, um, I think, yeah. So that was, yeah. Amen. How could we not see it? It's so simple. We, we, we keep looking over it. Uh, John 3.16 becomes what something we just quote as a memory verse instead of what we hold on to. Uh, another revelation. Hazel, you got anything? Yeah, pass that to her. I'm not going to touch on all the other topics people spoke about, but what um, really resonated with me because... Uh, oh, louder? Okay. What resonated with me was when you spoke about the Ministry of Reconciliation and that as leaders, we must not lead by manipulation and threatening. But for me, uh, when you spoke, it reminded me that as leaders, we must lead by inspiration. People must be inspired and by our gifts, you know, and we should lead people and not manipulate them to follow us or manipulate them to, uh, to be led by us. That's what really resonated with me today. Um, all the other stuff did, but I just wanted to touch on that. Amen. We don't lead, so we don't lead by manipulation. We lead by motivation. Amen. We lead by inspiration. Anybody else? Kat, you got anything? Yes? No? Maybe so? Still processing. All right. Come on. Something that I, I've always noticed with a lot of people, not just Christian, but um, the world in general, is condemnation is a huge thing. So um, the thing that really has resonated with me is um, condemnation died the moment Jesus rose again. Because um, not, not only do people receive condemnation from others, but also from themselves. Like self-condemnation is a huge thing that um, I had to walk through when I was first got saved because I had so much condemnation on the life I'd lived before I got saved. And um, walking into religion through that condemnation on me and then I took it on and then I was self-condemning myself continuously until I started renewing my mind on my identity and how much God loved me no matter what I had done, it was all finished. 
Amen. So I want to, I want to, I want to, before I toss it to this side, I want to say this, and I want, I want everybody to understand what I'm about to say, okay? The reason this type of forgiveness is so hard to understand is because it requires you to forgive others. The moment you accept this, the reason most people are challenged with it is because internally they're saying, but what about what this person? See, a child that was molested that is now an adult will go, what about the person that molested me? Rape, any tragic trauma, This type of forgiveness makes you face the reality that trauma has ceased the moment it happened. But from that point, you have made a choice to love or to hate, to receive or to reject. This type of forgiveness requires you now to hold yourself accountable to the unforgiveness you walk in. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in a way, isn't it not even your forgiveness, but it's God's forgiveness for them? You're receiving God's forgiveness for them into your heart. Yeah. Yeah, just bring in balance. That's good. Bring the balance. So that's the problem that we have is when we see forgiveness as something that is our action to take. You know, that our acceptance is now made forgiveness possible. Your acceptance didn't make forgiveness possible. Your acceptance made forgiveness possible for you. Amen? And that's why most people struggle with this type of terminology, and that's why it's most rejected and not talked about the ministry of reconciliation because it requires you to receive the forgiveness that's been given by God and to give the forgiveness that's been given by God. That's why it rubs us wrong. Man, it rubs me wrong. When I had this revelation, I was like, what about what they did? What about what they said? What about what they tried to do to my family? What, a, what, a, what, but, 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 but nothing. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to come back to you. The great thing about forgiveness is it frees you and it alleviates the but what, it, what about this? But what about that? It, it frees you because it, it's beyond you. It's supernatural. It's a superna- it totally takes the Spirit of God to find, for, not find, but to forgive people and to have peace in that situation. So I may not be able to cover this this extensively on Sunday, but and that's why I'm equipping you as leaders and those that have given your time so that you can be ready to answer the questions that the congregation is going to have. Amen? The con- Do you believe the congregation is going to have questions? Okay. Who's going to answer them? I am one person. Tina is one person. We are a team of people that together we can do more. So you've got a few days to study this out and to be ready to say, no, that's not what Pastor Kyle was saying. Pastor Kyle was saying, no, no, he didn't say that Osama bin Laden is forgiven. No, no, he's saying Osama bin Laden had the chance to be forgiven. He's not saying that Saddam Hussein was forgiven. He's saying that Saddam Hussein had the chance to be forgiven. 
Everybody has the chance to be forgiven. No matter who has offended you, they deserve, say this with me, no matter who's offended me, they deserve my forgiveness because my forgiveness comes from God. Amen? So let's look at a couple more things to drive this home. Romans 5, 15 and 7 through 17. And now I'm going to open up the floor for a few questions. I'm not going to be able to finish. We're going to do part two next week, postpone the fivefold until I get back to it. Amen? So, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. <laughs> Nobody ever reads this right. Okay, can everybody see this? And if you can't, go to Romans 5, 15 on your app, on your phone. Pull it up. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. <laughs> All right. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more of the grace of God and the gift by grace, which by one man Jesus Christ has abounded unto many. Verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is the many offenses unto justification. The free gift is the many offenses unto justification. Verse 17 is it. So, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 15. Let me show you something phenomenal. So base, so simple. The offense had a gift attached to it. Sin and death. But the justification had a gift attached to it, grace. And what the writer is saying here, what Paul is saying, just as the offense had a free gift, so did the free gift abolish and abandon the actions of the offense. Yep. Yes, I want you to read it. From 15? down because I, I just read 18 and 19 and that was really good but just from 15 yep. it's fairly long okay cool um, yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death dealing sin if one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God just think what God's gift poured through one man Jesus Christ will do there's no comparison between that death dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift the verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift? Wildly extravagant life. G grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. Yeah. Um, where is that? This grand setting everything right that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, 
Another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than that, just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. My, my favorite part is for those who grasp with both hands this wondrous gift, extravagant gift, wildly extravagant gift, life gift. All right, so here's the issue. We don't think we deserve it, and we don't think others do either. But that's a choice. We don't think we deserve it, and we don't think others do either. And therefore, we live inside of judgment and condemnation, not experiencing the rejoicing that can be found in the glory of God. Like I said when I started, I want you to experience the rejoicing in the glory of God. The only way you can do that is to separate yourself from the judgmental aspects of sin and the condemnation that follows it and be free from shame shame and guilt and accept this wildly extravagant life gift, grasping it with both hands and say, yes, I, I know I don't deserve it, but my lack of deserving it does not mean I'm not going to accept it. Listen, folks, somebody walks through the door right now and said, here's a million dollars. I'm not going to look at them and say, I don't deserve it. I'm like, okay, you got another one in your pocket? Maybe you just go ahead and put a two on the front of a million instead of one. I, I am going to say, what else you got to give if you got so much free gifts to give? I'm not going to stop at the one understanding of grace that empowered the revelation of change in my life. I'm going to seek the redemption. I'm going to profoundly understand my redemption, to profoundly understand my forgiveness, to profoundly understand my justification, to profoundly understand my atonement, to profoundly understand the God that saves to the uttermost. Just the next verse, I just kept reading, and it's really good, so can, I'm sorry. I was listening. Okay. Um, just 20 and 21 as well. It says, all that passing laws did against sin was produce more lawbreakers, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. Yeah. I just thought it, that's 20 and 21. So this aggressive grace that has a rhythm that pursues us with a passion, has pursued us with a passion, over and over again, Paul unequivocally states that the first Adam brought death, but now Jesus has brought life. And he emphasizes these two words, well, these few words, believe in it. You no longer operate in death and loss and lack. You now operate in life and love and hope. Amen? Amen. And when we try and, when we try and 
massage the law to make it, make it fit inside of our own control because of religion. We're only manipulating the ID, identity of people for our own effect instead of the grace effect. We need to massage grace so that it has an effect on people's lives and make sure that they fully understand this reconciliation that they have in Christ. When a man or woman is fully free, they are experiencing life. When a man or woman says, I have no more regrets even though I used to have them, but now I don't because I'm free. That regret lived in my former life. That regret lived in my past mistakes, but I'm forgiven of that. I'm justified of that. I've been atoned of that. Amen? You don't have to have, regret. You don't have, to have regrets. Well, what about the mistakes I've made as a Christian? He paid for those too. Amen? It didn't stop because you got saved and now you got to go work for it some more. Actually, it becomes more profound, the grace that you have. Amen? So, in fact, Paul says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Not as it was by one sin, so is the gift. I think, I think he means that the gift is far greater than the offense. I believe Paul is stating that the gift is greater than the offense. Because if grace was not greater than the offense, then God's not good enough. But because it's the grace that he gave, it's good enough to save to the uttermost. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. What about what they did? I know what they did. But when you can accept the fact that they deserve forgiveness too, you can freely walk from offense and not so angry, not so upset, not so hurt. It comes from a renewed mind. People often do what they do because they don't know. They don't have anything to believe in. Amen. So throughout this chapter, Paul uses the term much more, abound, abundance. He's talking about the fact that grace is superior to sin. In Romans chapter 6, he says, does grace abound? So that, we continue in, so that we may continue in sin. God forbid, it's that we have the revelation of that we are now found in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. We've been reconciled. Sin no longer has dominion over us, as it says in Romans 6 and 14. Amen? We no longer have to deal. Sin tries to deal with us because the enemy uses it to, to convince us that we've not been changed. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace in the law was sin and death. The, the law is not ineffective. It's been finished. It's been fulfilled. Amen? Oh, let's look at the power of reconciliation. Well, I am not going to be able to look at the next part because I don't want to keep you here too long. Next week, I'll be looking at the power of reconciliation. We've looked at the power of righteousness tonight, which is the power of the purpose of Christ. Christ came and fulfilled his purpose to make you righteous and to reconcile you to God. Amen? Amen.
I just got a revelation um, when you're talking about reconciliation and just talking about the spirit of offense. And I found that um, in different churches, you have a lot of people that have left the church because of offense. And they've chosen to move in unforgiveness. And with everything that you're talking about today, it's important, I think, as leaders, is that when people get offended, you, you know, this message is very important, especially people get offended in the church, that people are quick to forgive, people are quick to understand the message of grace. Yeah, thank you. So it's very important that we're quick to forgive and understand the importance of the message of grace. All right, I got about 15 minutes. I want to open up the floor for statements or questions, or maybe you've received a revelation. I am kind of done unless you ask a question tonight, and I want to open the floor for that because as leaders, I'm about to challenge the church this Sunday with a radical revelation that should not be radical. It is the failure of the body of Christ to avoid this topic because people don't like it is the reason that it's radical. Amen? Amen? Because it doesn't feel good to have to forgive somebody, does it? Nope. Does it feel good? It makes me angry. Like you mean, if Saddam Hussein would have accepted Jesus, I'd be dancing in glory with that fool? Well, yes. Amen. Pastor Tina, and then I want to open up the floor for questions and statements. Yeah, I think it just goes back to, you know, being in him, being in Christ, because it's in him that we live that we have this free life, and it's in him that we move. We're directed by his voice, and it's in him that we have even our very being. We have our being of a free heart. We have our being to forgive. We have the, you know, the right love one towards another, you know, basically having a free heart. You know, uh, John, I think it was 16 and 33, it says... Um, Jesus says that he's overcome the world, you know, that he has overcome the world. And that's how we have our peace on this earth when trials and sorrows and offense and all that rubbish comes is just being and staying in him because he never changes his mind. We do, you know. Um, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, 4, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ oh, constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we all were dead. Verse 15. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Pastor Tina is talking about we live in him. I'm talking about your freedom is in him. Your forgiveness is in him. And I think you got something you had earlier that the Lord has reminded me. You have something to share with us? Okay. And so that is we're in him. And it's so hard for our human minds to accept such an extravagant gift because we just think, first, it's not fair. 
whether it be for us or for someone else. Secondly, we don't think we deserve it. And it's time we get over those two pride issues. Because that's pride. Thank God we're not in control of who gets into heaven and who doesn't. Amen. That links in well, because what I was going to say is, you said people don't like to hear this teaching, but it's because they, they don't know who they are, and they can't, they haven't, you can't give what you haven't received. So there's a lot of people who, <laughs> they think every time they stuff up, they go to God and they're like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Like, they think they're receiving this new forgiveness from God and they pull back often. So when offense comes to them and they are so offended and they got to struggle with forgiving, it's because every time they miss it, they think they've got to then go to God and receive forgiveness again. They don't know who they are. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like losing your salvation. It's just yeah. not, it's not possible. It's, the reality is you're in him. Uh, another thing that I, I, I received from what you just said is that people need to learn how to forgive themselves. Amen? Amen? People need to learn how to forgive themselves and receive the forgiveness that they now have available to them from God so that they can forgive others. The reason you have poor leaders in the church and the reason that we're focusing on this is because I don't want poor leaders in the church. I'm tired of going to church and getting abused. Amen? And then right now everybody's thinking of somebody that abused them in this church. I'll come back to you. Right now everybody's thinking of somebody that abused them in this church. Well, right now, you need to forgive somebody. Amen? If you can remember a face and a name in that moment, you got someone to forgive. And they need the reconciliation that is in Christ from you just as much as you need it from Christ for you. Because when we operate in condemnation and condemn each other, we're creating offense in the house of God. Something that should not live in the house of God is offense and condemnation. But the reason it does is because people don't understand or freely walk in the reconciliation that has been given of Christ. As leaders, I need your help. This is going to radically shake and shape our church. But I can no longer avoid this topic as God has been crying out in my spirit to say it is time to approach this body with this revelation that is not radical, but is revealing. That is not profound, but foundational. Amen? This is not something that was shaped out of the ages or something new. This is the very basic principle of why Christ came. To separate us from offense and condemnation and to produce reconciliation. Amen. Do you have something that I got to go to Neil? Okay. Um, I just love how we were just talking about the whole purpose life thing, but what really, like it all really stems into identity, like the, the depth of everything. And what I feel most um, when I'm around Christians is that we lack that understanding of our identity in Christ. See, the devil didn't know what he was doing when he put Jesus on the cross. Because if he knew that, he wouldn't put Jesus on the cross because of what Jesus did. Because 
Jesus would still be okay today. You know, Jesus was one man back then. But because of him putting him on the cross and him resurrecting, now we have Jesus living in everybody today. And that's, and that's everything of Jesus Christ in us. That's forgiveness, that's purpose, that's provision, that's everything in Christ. And that really, like what the church really needs to understand is standing up in that identity and understanding, look, I am a child of God and that's who I am in him. And from them stems the ability to have everything else flow out of you. So, yeah. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's good. A lot of the time, we as Christians tend to run away from God instead of to Him. And I, and I think, you know, we think we're doing a good job. And somebody cousin comes along and says something. And because we're trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in God, we take that offence. And it pushes us further away from God. Yet, if we run to Him and trust in Him, then all these other cares seem to fade away into insignificance. You know, God has made us righteous. And I remember a teaching from uh, Dr. Dollar a young man came up to him and he said, just say, I am the righteousness of Christ. He said, but what if I want to smoke this joint? He said, smoke it and say, I'm the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. He said, but what if I inhale? Say, I'm the righteousness of Christ. You know, and, and he got to the point where it was, he'd focused that much on running to God that the issue was just, what am I doing? Flicked it away. I'm in righteousness of Christ. So... If, if I can say anything, um, Psalm 40, verse 4, blessed is the man that puts his trust in the Lord and leans not to the proud or turn as such to a lie. Run to God and a lot of those problems are going to come off you because you're, you're not in self-righteousness, but you're in the righteousness of Christ. Amen. 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 That's good. That's good. And it's just like one of the, you know, another just simple verse to tag along with that is that, that, you know, Proverbs 3 talks about lean not to your own understanding because in your understanding is the pride of life. And so when you lean to your own understanding, you're naturally leaning to your pride. But if you lean to God and trust in him, he will direct your paths. I think also sometimes... People, I don't want to label it just Christians, but people in general, we think that we potentially could be shortchanged. For example, if I serve and I give or if I teach someone the wisdom that I have, they're going to gain it and then I'm going to be overshadowed. So I think sometimes it's a feeling also, you know, whether it's a hold back or not fully open or not, you know, or have a wall up is that to some degree that we may be shortchanged at some point in time. But, you know, the, the word, I mean, years ago, this completely freed me in this realm is that Romans 5, 3 through 5 in the message version, it says that um, there's more to come. It talks about even though we're hemmed in with troubles, we know that those troubles develop. It develops passionate patience in us and a tempered still of virtue. But it also says this, um, when we are in alert expectancy, 
We are never left feeling shortchanged because we are in Christ. So no matter what comes, no matter what wisdom we give, no matter how we serve or what we do or what we give, we are never, ever, ever shortchanged. So we're not even shortchanged in our forgiveness. The reason that we find it hard to give forgiveness is because we feel shortchanged of the wrath we desire on that person's life. But God didn't, God's not putting wrath on their life. He's putting forgiveness and grace. I can sense in the room that even in us, we have a lot of people to forgive or even to forgive ourselves. Amen? So I want to open up the floor for questions. Well, how can I? What about? What has impacted you the most tonight? Let's, let's, those that are listening to the podcast, if this makes it to the podcast, you know, maybe they're sitting there unsure that what they're thinking is a real revelation, and maybe you saying it might help them and help you. Everything you said is so awesome, but with the grace thing that, you know, God has, we already have that forgiveness. We live in that forgiveness. We walk in that forgiveness. But that is not still not an excuse to go out and do bad things. And I think, you know, it's so important to remember that balance between, you know, the grace that we have received from God and continuing to keep our hearts in the right place and our minds in the right place. There's no condemnation if we make a mistake, but if we are, you know, ignoring that, we still need to, you know, it's not an excuse. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? That it's not an excuse to go out and do the wrong thing or, you know, you know, can talk ill against people just because you have already received the forgiveness for any mistakes you can make. So I think it's important to just remember that, yeah. Um, condemnation. You know, sometimes we, somebody may be listening to this and they're not spiritually strong. They're going through struggles. Maybe it's addictions. I don't know what you're going through, but here's the thing is that when we make a mistake, we have a choice whether to stay down or to get up. God's not mad at you. God understands. I mean, Jesus came on earth. He understands. He lived. He knows the temptations. He knows everything that we're going through. And the minute we condemn ourselves and the minute we don't even forgive ourselves, I like what Pastor Kyle's talking about, that we have to learn to forgive ourselves because that is the first step to progress and to even emotional healing. Forgive yourself. And I'm reminded of um, an experience I went through where, uh, when I went through my divorce is that I thought I had forgiven, but sometimes when we keep things in our minds and we hurt and we keep it in our hearts, we're not saying it, but it's in our hearts. And it took God revealing to me in a vision that I was holding in my heart a lot of um, anger and bitterness. And in this vision, I had somebody praying for me. And as they prayed, this thing came out of my chest. It was a big lump and came the release. So sometimes you're not saying something, but it's in your heart. And that's the, that's where the power comes in confessing. And, and, and the Lord says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and there's power in confessing and speaking and saying, I forgive myself, I forgive those that have hurt me. And because some people are suffering internally and they're not speaking. So speak, speak to somebody, speak to the Holy Spirit, speak to God. 
Yeah, I just love that how simple we obey belief. I mean, when you spoke that, it was just like, man, that's so easy. <laughs> it can be just that easy. We just obey belief. That's it. Like you said, shut the book, done. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, but the other thing about forgiveness too I got was like, um, you know, going through offence and condemnation all that kind of stuff. Like the, the forgiveness gives you a chance but mostly that person a, pe- a chance to recognise the justification that Christ has given them that it's like justification you know just as if they didn't do it and and we can look at that person in that forgiveness just as though they didn't do it because that's how Christ sees us and if if we can learn to do that straight away man that keeps us free from condemnation and offense and it just can be just so quickly dealt with and the freedom that is in that is like awesome. <laughs> Amen. Well, and you know, I want to just reiterate that statement of we obey belief. As a man thinketh, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is obeying what you believe, whether it be right or wrong. So that's why Paul says, think on these things, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, which is found in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. So when I'm obeying belief, I'm obeying what God believes about me and my life instead of what even I think sometimes about my life. Because circumstances can present another option. Amen. This is something I've picked up for tonight, and maybe it's a point to kind of talk and teach on further, is, um, you know, when you're talking about how people sometimes turn and twist grace to be more something like mercy, and you also brought about the definition of being a Christian, being Christ-like, and it brings me to this thought about rightly dividing the Word of God and seeing which Scripture is actually talking about to the, to the Christian and which scripture is teaching on the very f- foundation of righteousness. And sometimes we take scriptures that are meant for disciples and Christianity and then apply that to righteousness and then just confuse the whole bucket of theology that we're trying to swim around in. And so that's the big thing that I've worked... You know, when you have, when you have scriptures like, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, you could start threading that into the theology of righteousness and get all sort of you know get all confused and get back into this kind of obedience and works thing so i'd love to see and experience more rightly dividing teaching which like this scripture is discipleship and christianity don't let it mix up your your thoughts around righteousness because we can quickly pull those scriptures and get the whole teaching confused yeah yeah, I completely agree because we had to rightly divide this word tonight, you know. Um, and I think, uh, you know, Andrew makes a joke that the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps getting off. Um, and it's true, but the problem is because it gets in self. That scripture is really talking about staying out of self, and it is a discipleship scripture, 
that is talking about staying in Christ as he made the sacrifice. We now sacrifice our life to live in him. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Can I hand you the mic? Thank you for the teaching because it in the whole reconciliation aspect and the forgiveness aspect, um, you know, we so often hear about forgiving others, you know, and that's, you know, you, you do want to do that. Um, and you've, because there is such a hurt there, you, you make it an, an effort to do that. Um, but because tonight, you know, of what you've said and something very powerful that Lauren said about you can't really um, give what you haven't received. And then what Hazel just touched on that sometimes you're, you know, you're just sitting with something else internally. Um, so, amen. I, I, I had been, you know, struggling with something that, um, you know, talked to Pastor Tina about a couple of nights ago. And, yeah, I, I just, in this moment, just released it and forgave myself for it. So, yeah, amen. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Hazel. <laughs> so you just experienced rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. All right. When we started, I said, just as I sought a deeper understanding just as I saw a deeper understanding to, rejo to rejoice in the glory of God, the reality that I spoke in the beginning was to say that the reason you haven't rejoiced in the glory of God is because you think you have not seen it or ascertained it. The reality is that all of you have experienced the rejoicing in the glory of God but have yet to have a way to articulate it. And you will have more days of rejoicing. Well Changes Church Gold Coast can be found at Instagram at WCC Gold Coast and on Facebook at Well Changes GC. Or you can email us, send to info at wellchangeschurch.com.au. Enjoy the rest of your day and God bless.